Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we now hear your word, we pray for your help, Lord, that this time would not just be a time for us to check out and um, think about a host of things that uh, are coming up for us in this Christmas season, plans that need to be made and um, things that need to yet be accomplished before our celebrations, Father, but yet we pray you would help us in this time that our, our minds and our hearts would be full of God, that we would know that we live in a world that he made, a world that you created, that world that you are still intently involved in, drawing people to yourself, helping us to see and know our Savior, Jesus, for we desperately need him. So Lord, I pray now you would give us that, that grace to have eyes to see him, and ears to hear your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, last weekend I was uh, in Iowa and uh, with my family, and we were all gathered together in a most common and ordinary place, especially for Northwest Iowa, but also for Northeast Nebraska. We were all gathered together in a barn. An old, uh, a barn on an old cattle farm uh, that was six miles straight east of uh, the city of uh, Milford, Iowa. Now, 40 or 50 years ago, barns were some of the most common buildings in rural America, uh, outnumbering houses. You would see a barn on every acreage, uh, even if there was no longer a house on that acreage, there would still be a barn there, uh, housing livestock. And uh, that has all changed now, but back then, barns were some of the most ordinary, common buildings in states like Iowa and Nebraska. 
So why was my Hograve family all gathered together in a barn in northwest Iowa? Well, we were all there for a most extraordinary purpose. It was my niece's wedding. We had a wedding in a barn. Now, this isn't the first time that I've been to a wedding in a barn, and, and the way it's going, I'm sure it won't be the last. It's becoming quite a common place to have a wedding, at least in this, in this part of the country. And this was a, a very nice uh, remodeled barn. It was, it was very clean, uh, almost made you forget uh, where you were when you were inside of it. But at one point in the middle of the ceremony, uh, I looked up and uh, saw uh, between some of the the boards there in, in, in the ceiling, some, some straw sticking, sticking through the boards. Um, and uh, that reminded me that, well, yeah, this, this kind of looks like one of the barns that uh, my dad used to, to raise sheep in, which I would then have to, to climb up you know, into in the hay mow and, and, uh, and to get some hay bales uh, and toss them down in order to feed uh, the sheep that my dad raised uh, in that barn. And, and, and my niece... And her groom and the pastor were, were standing right about in the very spot which I would throw the, the hay bales down, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and feed the sheep from. And that's when it really hit me that this was definitely an extraordinary event taking place in a most ordinary place. In our passage this morning, we are shown an even more extraordinary event which took place in one of the most ordinary places of its time by one of the most unpretentious, run-of-the-mill people that you could ever meet. A young teenage girl from a rural village in the Middle East is visited by a messenger from heaven, from God's throne. And this very ordinary, poor teenage girl is told that she will soon become the mother to a divine child who would be the promised Savior King of God's people. This was definitely something that she or, or, or anyone else who knew her would have never expected to have happened to her in their little village. But, but here it was a most extraordinary event taking place in the most ordinary of places. So our passage here shows us both how amazing the work of God was and how he used such an average, modest person to bring it all about. Our main theme then from the passage is God miraculously brought the divine Savior into the world through a remarkably humble, willing servant. So as we now are one week away from Christmas, I thought it would be good for us to meditate together on this passage from Luke where we are shown the great announcement to Mary of her impending pregnancy and motherhood of the Christ child. And we are shown here both the humble simplicity and the astonishing wonder of it all. And my hope is that as you celebrate Christmas, um, with your families in the next week. And as you listen to the, the constant Christmas music playing on the radio or your streaming device, 
that your mind would think of God and how he used a very humble servant in order to accomplish his great plan for your salvation. So we'll focus on, on just three main observations from this short passage this morning. The first is the sovereign action of God that we see here. The second would be the incredible identity of the Son. And the third is the remarkable willingness of the humble servant. Sovereign action of God, the incredible identity of the Son, and the remarkable willingness of the humble servant. So first, the sovereign action of God. Let's listen to to verse 26 again and think about what what this is really describing here. Okay, Verse, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So in the sixth month, here it's referring to uh, the last announcement that the angel Gabriel had given. Uh, That's uh, the first part of chapter 1. He had appeared before uh, Zechariah the priest and he announced to Zechariah, that his elderly wife, who had never been able to bear a child previously, would now give birth to a son, who would become John the Baptist. So it's now in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, which shows you, of course, just how much older John was than Jesus. And next, as one of the, as one of the Bible scholars that I read described it, we are to note how unabashedly supernatural the Bible is here in verse 26. We are told that an angel was sent from God to this city of Galilee named Nazareth. Yes, the the, the uncreated God who is in heaven sent one of his angels named Gabriel down to the earth to deliver a message from him, a message for a teenage girl. This little town called Nazareth, which is in Galilee. Galilee in northern Israel. Luke tells it like it's something that happens all the time. And that's because Luke is a supernaturalist. He believes in the reality of the, of the divine. He believes things like this happen in the world. You and I live in a world that, for the most part, is is very ordinary. A few months ago, I I saw some pictures of of Stanton uh, from from many years ago. I'm not sure when they were taken, but it looked like uh, sometime in the 1980s. And what struck me was how familiar the scenes looked to me. Not much has changed in 40 years. But what also struck me is how similar our small town is to to just about every other small town in the Midwest. This world we live in is a pretty ordinary place. But it is also a place where God sometimes sends a supernatural messenger to someone, someone in particular, to reveal what he is about to do. God is real, and God is actively engaged in the story of the history of this world, and he has spoken to us. He has spoken to us. 
So is your life daily impacted by that reality? Do you live like there is a God and that this God has spoken to us? The message that the angel then gives to this young, man, this, uh, young, young woman is quite a life-changing one for her and, and for all who come after her. He announces to Mary that she will conceive and bear a son, and when the son is born, Mary shall name him Jesus. What a shocking bit of news to share with a young woman who is betrothed to be married. Notice here that God didn't ask Mary if she'd be willing to do this for him. God didn't ask for her permission or her parents' permission. First, he just decided that she is the one who will give birth to the Son of God. He didn't even discuss it with Joseph, Mary's betrothed husband, to see if he'd be all right with this plan. God had already determined Mary would bear the Son of God, and now the time had come to let her know that it was about to happen. And this just grates against how we think things ought to be in our society, doesn't it? What about Mary's rights? What about her choice? Didn't she have a say in this? I mean, God can't just do what he wants with us, can he? Well, apparently he can. Think about Abraham. God just came to him, told him that he was to move his wife and possessions to Canaan, and, and, and there God would then make him the father of a nation? Or then think of Joseph. God used him to save his family members by bringing him down to Egypt and, and putting him in a place where, where he could interpret the dreams uh, of Pharaoh, the dreams that uh, God gave to Pharaoh, so that he could then advise him to store up the crops during the fruitful years so that they'd have plenty of grain saved up to provide for the sons of Israel and their families during the seven years of famine. God didn't make sure that Joseph was on board with his plan before he enacted it. He used all kinds of terrible, heartbreaking circumstances in order to put Joseph in the right place at the right time. This is God's world. God is sovereign over it, and he is working out his plan for the redemption of his people, and he sovereignly chooses whom he chooses to accomplish his own purposes. He never seeks our counsel. He never asks our permission. He just acts. So how ought we to respond to such a God? Well, Mary's going to show us here in just a few minutes. The plan, though, is, is, is once again astonishingly supernatural. Notice the, the one-word description of Mary that he uses three times in, in this passage. First, in verse 27, we are told the angel came to a virgin. And then that the virgin's name was Mary. The angel then tells her that she will conceive in your womb and bear a son. That is, the angel tells her the virgin is going to conceive. This will be a virgin conception, a conception that will take place without the partnership of a man, which of course is scientifically, biologically, and physically impossible. 
So Mary asks the obvious question in verse 34 here. She asks of the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The only way this could happen is if God mysteriously and miraculously made it happen. A virgin woman would only be able to conceive and bear a child if the God who spoke the heavens and the earth and all that is in them into existence from nothing and the one who created human life in the first place would cause it to happen. And he did. Let's listen to the angel's response to Mary's question and let's note he doesn't actually explain how God's going to do this. Just that it's going to happen. Verse 35, and the angel answered her, Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. The angel graciously lets Mary in on what could have been a little secret that her cousin Elizabeth, her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy was also the work of God, albeit in the normal, natural way for pregnancies to happen. But like Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and even Hannah before her, Elizabeth, who had been unable to bear a child before this, was now six months along in her pregnancy. So throughout the history of redemption, when God was taking another significant step in bringing about his plan of salvation, it often happened with a barren woman bearing a child no one believed she'd ever be able to bear. And now God was taking it one step further. He would cause a virgin to conceive. And the child she would bear would be the Savior that God had promised. God was going to save his people. God was going to fulfill his promises. And God was going to do it in his way, making it clear to all involved that it was from him and through his sovereign supernatural power. He was showing us what, what, what Jonah had declared years before, that salvation is from the Lord. It's not from man. The hope of our salvation is in the hands of one who can do whatever he pleases. Nothing is impossible for him. So when we pray, we pray to a God who isn't limited by anything whatsoever. No word from God will ever fail. He can do all things. Nothing is too difficult for him. Next, we'll look at the incredible identity of the son. Incredible identity of the son. Uh, the child that Mary will, will give birth to will be far from an ordinary child. Now, I know every mother feels this way about uh, every child that they bear, uh, but of all the mothers who have ever carried a child and given birth, Mary has bragging rights over everyone else by a long way. Uh, the child she would nurture within her womb and give birth to would be, as it says, great 
and will be called the Son of the Most High. He would be born a king. He would be the promised heir to the throne of David, and he will reign over God's people forever and ever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. His kingdom would, would never be defeated. He would never have to give up his own throne. He would not just be a king, but he'll be the greatest king the world has ever known. He would be holy. That is, he would be set apart from all other kings and all other men. No one who has ever lived would be like him, for he will be the Son of God. This pregnancy and this child will be the most anticipated and long-expected baby to be born in all of human history, for it was first announced back in the Garden of Eden. Right after our world fell into sin and under the curse of death, in Genesis 3.15, God made a promise, ironically, to Satan that he would send a man born of woman whose heel would be bruised by, by him, but by, by Satan, but who would end up laying a death blow to Satan's authority. Jesus would be that promised son who was destined to suffer, but through his suffering would defeat the power, authority, and influence of Satan over God's people. And then in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord makes a promise to Abraham. He promises Abraham that the Lord would provide him with, with many descendants and, and that all the families of the earth would be blessed through one of Abraham's descendants. And now Gabriel is announcing to Mary, the child that she would carry and provide for will be that long-expected seed of Abraham whose life would lead all to all the families of the earth being blessed. Jesus, whose name means the Lord is salvation, would be the Savior of the world. The reference to, to uh, King David in verse 32 also gives us a clear indication of the importance of this child that Mary will, will be giving birth to and raising as her own. Uh, for back in 2 Samuel 7, we have another special moment when God delivers a message to one of his servants, to, to King David, through the prophet Nathan, and, and God tells him that a son would come from him, kind of like Abraham, like one of, one of his descendants, and he would be a king and rule over God's people, and his kingdom would never come to an end. And almost exactly what Gabriel quotes to Mary here in verse 32 and 33. So Mary's son would be the promised anointed one of David. He would be the Messiah, the Christ. But that is not all. Gabriel goes on to say in verse 35 that because of his unique conception, that he would also be divine. He would be God the Son. Mary's son would be human, truly human, for he would develop as any other baby would develop within the womb of a human mother. And she would give birth to him just like any other birth. And he would grow up just like any other child would grow up. But he would also be truly God. He would be the Son of God. For God's plan of salvation to, to be realized, our Savior needed to be truly human. Truly human to fulfill God's law for us in our place. To obey God's word in every way that we have not been able to do. 
And, and then he needed to suffer and die as a sacrifice in our place, as a man. He had to be able to, to represent sinful man in every respect. He also had to be completely untouched by original sin, to be that, that perfect, sinless sacrifice. And that is why it had to be a virgin conception. And he also had to be divine to, to fully bear the wrath of God in our place. So the son that Mary would be the mother of would be completely unique. For in him all the fullness of God would be pleased to dwell and through him, God would reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. And thirdly, we see the remarkable willingness of the humble servant. So Luke also shines a spotlight here on Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, in this passage, and she comes out looking like gold. Now, in Roman Catholicism, Mary is placed in such high honor that she is revered even to a greater degree than, than Christ is by some of the most religious Catholics. Roman Catholicism officially teaches that Mary was also conceived in a miraculous way so that she also is free from original sin, like her son Jesus. Catholicism also officially teaches the, the perpetual virginity of Mary, that even after Joseph took Mary as his wife, that they never consummated the marriage, which would, of course, call into question how Jesus was able to have other brothers and sisters, as the Gospel of Matthew and, and Mark tell us. Official Roman Catholic doctrine also teaches that Mary, again, like Jesus, ascended into heavenly glory, both body and soul, and now serves in heaven as mediator for the church. Now, not one of those Roman Catholic doctrines has any basis in the Scriptures. The New Testament does not teach any of those things. In fact, the New Testament contradicts each of those teachings. But unfortunately, because the, the Roman Catholics have most definitely overemphasized Mary's importance, Protestants and evangelicals like us may have overreacted in how we have de-emphasized Mary's significance. J.C. Ryle, the great Protestant pastor from England, wrote this regarding Mary. He said, No woman was ever so highly honored as the mother of our Lord. It is evident that one woman only, out of the countless millions in the human race, could be the means whereby God could be manifest in the flesh. And the Virgin Mary had the mighty privilege of being that one. By one woman, sin and death were brought into the world at the beginning, of course, re referring to Eve. By the childbearing of one woman, life and immortality were brought to light when Christ was born. No wonder that this one woman was called highly favored and blessed. Now, we are not to worship Mary, but we are to emulate her. And Luke shows us in Mary a wonderful model of what it means to be a faithful servant of the Lord. First look in, in verse 28. Verse 28, Gabriel assures Mary that the Lord is with her. This is a wonderful promise of assurance 
And it is the same promise that the Lord has given to each of his followers as it was one of the last things that the Lord Jesus said just before he ascended into heaven. He says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Matthew 28, 20. And this is the very reason why Mary was able to respond to the Lord in the faithful, obedient way that she did. And this is the very reason why, why you, why you are also able to have a heart that desires to serve and honor the Lord, it is because, by his grace, the Lord is with you. And because we are assured of the Lord's presence with us, we can be confident that the work he has given us to do will bear fruit. Again, not because of us, but because of his promise that he's with us. We then see Mary's response to the incredibly heavy responsibility she was given. Again, this was not just some quick little job the Lord was calling her to do. It's not something you know, she could uh, take care of on a Saturday afternoon. This was a permanently life-altering role she was given. Mary had to consider how this was going to affect her future. How was this going to affect her relationship with Joseph? How would this affect her relationship with her family? how she would have to suffer. Mary had to count the cost at this moment. Would this be a privilege or a punishment for Mary? This was not something that Mary asked for. This was not something that Mary had been desiring or training for. She wasn't like uh, a young person who had given her life to the Lord and, and believed that, that she was being called to become a missionary and so then spends years in training, education, and gaining needed experience before she's sent out to begin her work on the mission field. She was a poor teenage girl looking forward to being married who just as, as her whole world was turning upside down by God interrupted her, interrupted her day to inform her that she would soon be pregnant and will have to give birth and raise the Savior of the world. That's, that's what happened. And she responds by literally saying, Behold, I am the slave girl of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If you would have seen Mary, you would not have been impressed. You may not have even noticed her. She would have looked like any other young woman walking around Nazareth at the time. She wouldn't have stood out to you at all. And yet she was the one the Lord called and used to care for and to mother his son, the Savior of the world. You may not feel like you are all that impressive of a person, that you really don't have any spectacular gift or skill that stands out. You may not get noticed when you walk into a room. You may not be exceptional in any way. And yet, you are someone God has called into his service. If you placed your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way for your salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins, 
and for your righteousness before God, then God himself is dwelling with you. And he has called you to make disciples for him. And he's promised to be with you and empower you for that work. Your words will be empowered. Your good deeds will be empowered. God will use you in his great plan of redemption if you trust him. So the question for you is, do you trust him? Are you willing to put your life in his hands? Are you willing to say to the Lord, also with Mary, I am your slave. I will do whatever you say. That is the inclination of a true disciple. That is the attitude of a Christian, someone who has Christ in their heart. They desire what God desires. They follow what he says. We're showing that with the example of Mary. That is the way we are all called to walk.